if people are waiting for the day that there's an exercise pill, they could be A, waiting a long time, B, it might never happen, but C, the most important part is, is that exercise is the pill and lifestyle is the medicine and it's available now. Welcome to the 25 Stay Alive podcast with Hugo and Dahlia, two cancer survivors who are passionate in helping the lives of others. Nothing is off limits, so prepare yourself for tears, laughter, and goosebumps. And Dahlia talking about poo. (laughs) (laughs) So on today's episode, we're joined by my lovely auntie, Sarah Abel-Smith, who's also a qualified uh, nutritionist and she is the well i've appointed her as the resident 25 stay alive nutritionist and it was um yeah it was great to have her on the show and we spoke about all things uh, exercise diet and lifestyle and how she's really uh, i guess utilized that to overcome her rheumatoid arthritis which is uh, pretty phenomenal but also how everyone listening can uh, benefit from uh, exercise, diet, and lifestyle, and their overall health, but especially those with any chronic conditions itself. So it's uh, it was a pretty prevalent episode that we really enjoyed talking about. And uh, and Dahlia, you're you're a little bit under the weather, so there's a little bit of uh, sniffling and coughing throughout. But you did try your best. Yeah, look, I tried. I tried to at least like usher my my sneezes and my sniffles away from the uh, microphone. But so I apologise if you hear me doing that. But <laughs> we actually um go into um, a bit of detail about the SBS episode on insight called um, the exercise pill so if that's something that you're interested in um watching before listening i'd probably recommend it otherwise we'll leave a link below if you want to um have a look over it after the episode is finished thanks everyone and enjoy the episode enjoy sarah abel smith welcome to the show sarah thank you hugo it's great to be here no it's great to have you and look we've uh, we're pretty stoked to have you on because not only are you extremely knowledgeable in the the field of diet and lifestyle and being a nutritionist but you've also had a a, a pretty remarkable journey yourself with uh, your own health concerns and and overcoming uh, rheumatoid arthritis and adjusting your your diet and lifestyle around that so that we will explore that but before we do, with all our guests, we'd like to ask a little question. And Dali will just uh, ask you something related to something close to our heart being poo. <laughs> Very serious topic here. Now, when you do a poo, are you a scruncher or are you a folder or do you mix it up? Absolute scruncher. Don't understand anyone that does the folding. Scruncher. Oh. And I love to talk poo because that's what nutrition is all about what goes in and what comes out absolutely I love it you're the perfect guest <laughs> i think uh, i think you're our first scrunchie i've only had one guest but it's good really? <laughs> i lost my tally i'll have to find it for those listening for the first time and wondering why we're asking sarah if she's a photo of scruncher we do like to normalize the conversation around poo because it's important and it's uh, it's something that you should you should know your body know yourself and poo is one of those things that we all do every day and so it's important to know what's normal for you and to normalize that conversation. So uh, before we get into today's episode, which is kind of centered around exercise and lifestyle, almost being medicine, if you want to put it that, and how important it is to not only everyone's health, but more specifically for chronic conditions. And we, uh, we've all recently watched a SBS show on Insight, um, which it, the show is called Insight and it's called The Exercise Pill. And it's quite a fascinating show. So before we do delve right into that, uh, and obviously ask Sarah with her expertise on it all. You know, just for the listeners, Sarah, if you could just give a bit of a, a background to what got you into nutrition and why you're so passionate about it, but also your own adversity that you've over you've had to overcome with your rheumatoid arthritis. 
Yeah, sure, Hugo. So I probably got into nutrition, I don't know, 10 years ago, I started the whole process, but it was before I got sick. So I think my main thing was to get a degree before I turned 50. So I'm probably a bit old for your 25 stay alive listeners, but I can give you some uh, good tips on what to do before you turn 50. But anyway, I got my degree, but during my degree, and I was raising three kids and life was flat out and we were selling a house and building a new house and it was very stressful. During that time with exams and my son doing year 12 and like it was action packed, I suddenly got really, really sore joints and I, I thought I just pushed it, pushed it at the gym or I don't know what was happening. I was just feeling really crappy. And as I was studying, I was doing a whole thing on osteoarthritis versus rheumatoid arthritis and I did a whole paper on it. I had no idea. I just thought they're for old people and, you know, that, you know, that wouldn't happen to me. Mm. And suddenly, as I was studying, I saw all these symptoms that I was studying going, hang on, this sounds like what I've got. And I delved into a bit more. And then during a, my daughter's Christmas concert, and this was about five years ago, I went to stand up and I fell over and my knees just gave way. Right. And I thought, oh, holy crap, something's not good here. So I went to see the rheumatologist and they did all my bloods. And sure enough, like my... Uh, the big marker, and probably you guys know about it as well, is the CRP, which is the inflammation marker, yep. was very raised. And I had masses of inflammation in my body and I was stressed and, you know, each joint started hurting and it mostly starts in my wrists. And I went and saw wrist surgeons, doctors, God knows what. And then it went to my fingers, it went to my feet, went to my knees. And suddenly I'm like, what's happening? It's a really debilitating disease. And, you know, all, there's no cure for rheumatoid. And most doctors just hand you the medication. Mm. And so basically we're on a pretty similar medication to cancer with methotrexate and they usually start you on the three big ones which are methotrexate, sulfazalazine and plaquenil and they just go hard and hit you hard. So it took me a while. I'm not very good at even taking a Panadol. So for me I had to really think about this but as my body just progressed, it just the progression of the disease got worse, there was no option. So I started taking this medication, which sort of helped for a while. But then I started researching so much and saw that there was a massive correlation with diet and exercise. When you talk about the pain, is it something that was so debilitating that you couldn't work or, you know, let's say cook a meal or something like that? Explain how bad the pain was. Uh, more like a throbbing ache, like you sit down for 10 minutes and your knees almost stiffen up and you stand up, you've got to loosen up your knees and then off you go again. Uh, hands, I, I couldn't undo jars and you can't peel a potato, you can't clean your teeth in the morning because your hands are so stiff. You have to get into a hot shower, loosen up your body, then off you go. And it just kept getting worse. And then I just kept getting masses of prednisone, shoved into me steroids were just like this wonder drug but it made you feel fantastic but it's a complete band-aid so it's been five-year journey on trying to work it all out and probably from my studies of nutrition and I haven't obviously been a nutritionist for a long time but I've worked so much with the rheumatoid side of things probably in the last year and a half I've been on a serious diet and it's really made a massive massive difference and I was feeling yeah, I've been feeling amazing. 
Yeah, and that's that's amazing to hear. And obviously, um, I've yeah, I've followed your journey for a, for a bit, obviously, but you you being my auntie, and it's it is pretty remarkable to see how far you've you've come with that with your diet and how it wasn't just a quick fix diet, but it's over a, you know trial and error almost, and you've really learnt what what works for you. And it's interesting, Sarah, you touched on the whole point on how exercise really helped you, especially with the joints. And you said, um, I know you're, you're a big advocate for yoga and I know so is Dahlia. And we will touch further into this throughout the episode, which is what the episode's more or less centered around. But the SBS Insight show, I found a fascinating point when they mentioned that uh, 3% of patients uh, in Australia referred to exercise therapy by their GP. And that was a, with a large, large group of statistics they ran. And only 3% of their patients, most of whom this is referred to with chronic conditions, are actually referred to exercise therapy. And it's fascinating. I'm interested to hear your thoughts when you initially went to through your GPs and your specialists and your doctors and they prescribed you, like you said, a, a cocktail of drugs, you know, steroids, all sorts of stuff. Early days was one of the, the things that they say, look, exercise is so important, diet's so important, or was it mainly centered around the drugs that you were taking? Not one mention of diet or exercise. It's quite phenomenal. I just cannot believe it. And I got onto this guy called Clint Patterson, who uh, is an Aussie bloke and had uh, rheumatoid arthritis. And he's, uh, he's done TED Talks and written all, uh, you know, this great ebook online. And I joined his forum and he, he's just been through every diet, which I have as well. I did the autoimmune protocol. I did the paleo, the lectin-free, the raw foods, everything. <laughs> it came down to elimination diet, absolutely get rid of everything and start with a narrow group of foods and then introduce. And that's been a year and a half of yep. doing that. And I'm still on a really strict vegan plant-based, low-fat, no-oil um, and everyone goes, oh, but you need oil and blah, blah, blah. But that just seems to inflame my joints straight away. But the exercise is also a massive part of this. And that's what he says. The only thing that got him through, obviously, is diet and Bikram yoga. And then I started getting into uh, hot yoga, but not the Bikram, but I got the 40 degrees, but it changes. It's different each day. Loving my hot yoga. And I think it's the the movement is so important for all of us to, you know, it, it, and plus the sweating and the release of the toxins and get it all out. But I just found that was so amazing and I just love my hot yoga. It's much more of a holistic approach to exercise as well. At least the studio that I practice at um, can be quite meditative at the same time. So I really see it as like a whole body, mind and body kind of experience for me anyways. Yeah, I think you're right there as in the meditation, the mind-body. I think we all need that. And to get through what you guys have had to endure, I think we all need that mind-body connection completely. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And That's actually something I really want to get back into is my yoga because I, I do know how important it is. Um, look, just to touch on one of those things you just mentioned before, Sarah, and I know we spoke offline about this and just for the listeners out there, because I know there are some people who almost get frustrated in a way when, when some people come out to say, oh, diet alone can cure cancer and things like this. And there are stories of amazing examples of that happening. However, they might be a minority and, and I don't want to kind of, um, I guess, advocate to those who are going through cancer treatment or chronic or treatment for chronic conditions to say, oh, diet and lifestyle alone is going to cure you because that's not necessarily the right the right answer and I think you put it quite well Sarah with with me and you said there's nothing wrong with taking for example for my irritable bowel disease or your arthritis is taking medication or treatment to 
fix it initially, but then kind of to sustain it long term is to really focus in on your diet and lifestyle. Do you just want to expand a little bit on that just so people listening don't sort of think that they can stop all their treatments and diet and lifestyle alone is going to cure them? Yeah, that's a really good point because I, I feel that if you are medicated, you're, re, you're lowering your inflammation for a start and that's healing your body. So if you completely, and I, I think that's what I did wrong, I tried to do it all diet related to start with and I just kept going downhill, downhill going, what do you mean? I'm not getting fixed. And, uh, you know, everyone's saying they're running a marathon after going on this diet and they're feeling amazing. And I, I remember having a grumble in the forum with the Patterson program that I was doing and just saying, you know, it's really depressing. I just, I just can't seem to do it. And everyone else is going, you know, as I said, running marathons. So they said, why don't you go back on the medication, lower your inflammation, let your body start healing, work with your food, then reduce your medication as you see fit with your doctor. You know, you can't just do it on your own and yeah. go, you know, get off everything. No, I think that's an important, important point for listeners to realize is that it is exactly that. It's a, it's a combination of things, but what this episode is, yeah, is focused around is that how exercise and diet and lifestyle can play a significant part in, uh, in your overall health and well-being, and specifically those with chronic conditions. So, so look, no, thanks for sharing that part of your journey, Sarah. And I think it's, uh, it is pretty incredible. Like you said, it's been a long process, but for someone who at the start, couldn't pick up a, you know, a cup of coffee in the morning. Peel a you, potato. Yeah, peel a potato and you're on such strong pain, pain medication and you're so debilitated to kind of get through the other side of, of living quite a, quite a good life. And look, you still obviously have some down days, but to basically not be on any, any strong medication is pretty remarkable. And I think it's, a, it's testament to obviously how effective diet and lifestyle can really be. So look, on that, we might just delve a little bit into the episode that we are going to kind of discuss on Insight, which is called the exercise pill. And basically, it's talking about the benefits of exercise to health, especially with chronic conditions. Uh, and it's, it's pretty prevalent because they mentioned in the episode that 11 million Australians, so 11 million Australians, that's almost half the population of Australia, have one of eight major chronic conditions. So that's 11 million Australians have one of eight major chronic conditions and they are cancer, heart disease, respiratory disease, diabetes, mental illness, which is very important for those listening that mental illness is a disease, uh, back problems, arthritis, obviously close to your heart, Sarah, and then asthma. So yeah. it's extremely prevalent. And what this episode was centered around is that exercise should be used as a treatment for chronic conditions. And it should be starting to, I guess, be more normalized for GPs and those who are diagnosing these chronic conditions to use exercise as a treatment. So I'd be interested to hear uh, first, I might just go to you, Dahlia, what, uh, what you got out of that, that episode and what really kind of uh, resonated with you. It's hard because, you know, they say that you should be exercising while you're going through chemo and things like that. And I felt motivated to do so only because of my sort of previous fitness background, you know, doing gymnastics most of my life and enjoying yoga and Pilates, just the benefits prior to chemo. So for me, it was something that I wanted to be able to incorporate right away, but it definitely wasn't suggested to me by my oncologist or my surgeon. Probably, so I had to do 12 cycles of Folfox. I reckon at about cycle eight is when I started practicing yoga again. Mm -hmm. And I asked my oncologist, would it be okay if I go? And he said, yeah, if you're feeling fit and well, absolutely do that and I regret not doing it sooner before that I was kind of just doing like a little a little bit of stretching and some walking but nothing really rigorous I didn't know 
you know, how far to push myself mm. or how much was appropriate and things like that. And so, yeah, and it's interesting hearing you say that Dale, because obviously going through a similar, similar journey with chemo, exactly the same. I had no idea. And it's Sarah, you obviously mentioned that before that through your journey too, never once did you get told that diet and exercise was such a strong contributor in your, in your overall, I guess, recovery and, and treatment as part of your rheumatoid arthritis. Same goes with Dale and myself for, for the chemo. And I remember same thing down. I thought that, hang on, if I push myself, is that going to be detrimental? And no one ever once speaks about these things. I think this is why this episode on insight and also this podcast episode is so important because we need to normalize that conversation about exercise as medicine and as a treatment option. I also was really struggling with my diet because I recently got my ileostomy. And so I was on a low fiber diet right after I got out of surgery. And then it wasn't after until eight weeks that I was able to slowly introduce particular vegetables and things like that back into my diet but no one was talking to me about it it was all research that I kind of took it upon myself to go out and find but it would have been nice to have a bit more guidance a bit more of a like a robust idea Mm. of like diet exercise and how they can work together to make me feel better during chemo on that point I think Sarah, you can chime in on this one. So diet I think is a big one because we've uh, I didn't actually add this in the intro but Sarah has recently been in hospital for a completely unrelated but quite a, another separate side uh, side journey for you. Her 50-kilo dog, uh, Sid, who's a, who's a lovely dog, was at the dog park and completely cleaned Sarah up. And Sarah, you ended up in hospital for a, a couple of different breaks and a couple of different injuries. Yeah, just what I needed. I was, I think I spoke too soon and went, I'm feeling great and I've got my diet under control. And I think I posted on my Instagram going, you know, yay, I'm feeling amazing. I'm off all drugs. And I'm just walking the dog last Sunday with my husband and uh, I saw him coming at me and I just couldn't move. And he just bowled me over and I broke my tibial plateau break or whatever. So a whole bunch of my leg, he threw me in the air smashed my leg and I then crushed my whole shoulder my clavicle is all crushed so I've got lots of new pins and steel plates in my body and so it was a really interesting thing going into hospital feeling like crap and getting back on all that heavy medication again especially for for the diet as well and and uh, this was only last week was it yeah, it's been one one week. But I was just fascinated what they fed me in hospital. What they give you in hospital, like you ask for for a custard or a yogurt and it's literally just like, you know, artificially sweetened banana yogurt. And I'm like, I don't want to eat this. Full of sugar. Tastes like crap. And I was like, why don't you just give me a banana? I actually asked for a banana and they went, ooh, ooh, we're not sure whether we've got any of those. And I'm just going, I just got people to bring stuff in for me. So... I had everyone bringing me juices. Like it's all about healing. And when I said I'm vegan, gluten-free, like that completely threw them. So they gave me a bowl of gluten-free cornflakes with some milk. And I said, I can't drink milk. And oh my God, like it was like, thank God that I had food brought in for me. But you know, how do you heal? I'm stunned at the food that they give you. From what you've learned through your studies in nutrition, but also through your own experiences, how important diet can be to healing and, and recovery. And here in a hospital setting, it, it, it is remarkable. And I've obviously spent a lot of time in hospitals myself. And you are blown away by, you know, even for something like bowel cancer, there are scientific evidence-based facts around things like processed meats can contribute 
in the prevalence of something like bowel cancer. And there are more study and research is coming out about the detriment of things like processed meats. But then, so here you are after a bowel cancer surgery, one of the meals you get are like processed hams and processed foods and sugars and all this type of stuff. And you've just had a big chunk of your bowel removed. And then this is the food they're feeding you straight away, which did you find something similar, Dale? So I had to have my colonoscopy, the first one that I ever had back in October. I went in for my colonoscopy. I woke up. They told me I had bowel cancer. What do you think the first thing they gave me after I came out? So I hadn't eaten in a few days. So they said, would you like to eat? They gave me a ham sandwich. <laughs> like they just diagnosed me with bowel cancer and they gave me a ham sandwich. Yeah, I find it extraordinary what they feed you. And I don't know how we can change that in the system. And I'm sure even... Even some of the dietitians in the hospital, you know, they'll give you a Yakult thinking that, you know, you need some good probiotics in your gut. You know, the Yakult for a start is so full of sugar. We've just got to get the sugar out. Sugar, sugar is just like the evil enemy for everything. So if we just get that out. I was going to ask you that, Sarah, and we'll, um, yeah, from, from your experience, and obviously you have this ultra, 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 but yeah, ridiculously healthy diet, which for most Australians or most people listening, it's very difficult to follow, but if there is one, one food group, I know it's difficult because you've probably got lots, but if there is one food group where it's like you should be cutting down on that because it, it is so bad for your, your overall health, would that be sugar? Yeah, absolutely. You can cut sugar out. That just, I mean, that's going to feed your cancer cells. It'll feed the bad bacteria in your microbiome, in your gut, and just wreak havoc on the rest of your system. So if we can just feed our good bugs, feed our body, well, I mean, we're going to work better. And going vegan, I was, I mean, God, I grew up on a farm. I, I, I love to eat meat and I've eaten meat for years. But it was interesting just looking back and thinking of why we get sick and think of our microbiomes and think of while you got sick and Dahlia, and I don't know what Dahlia's diet was in the early days, but I just found that I was a vegetarian for years and not understanding how to be a vegetarian, probably ate the wrong food, lots of creamy stuff thinking I just won't eat meat. And then I had babies and then got back into meat and felt a bit better. But I was always healthy as I thought I was healthy. And I remember my husband saying to me, you're so healthy. Why are you always so sick? And I always got colds. I always felt crappy. I always had gut problems. And I think if we get any gut problems as a kid, or even a bit older, I just think we have to address that straight away. And that's going back to our poo, talking about our poo again. And if that's something's wrong with that, and a lot of people don't understand what's normal and what's not. That's the biggest thing I find with my clients that come in. They go, oh yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I poo every day happily or I'm normal. And I say, well, what's normal? Tell me, what does it look like? What's the consistency? You know, I go through detail on that. And that's a really important thing. The weird thing is, is like, for example, if you were to grow a, a flower or a chili plant, for example, you're not really going to water your plant with some Coke or with some orange juice. So you're not going to go to the petrol station and fill your car with the incorrect petrol because you know that that's not what's good for the car. So it's weird how we can't make that kind of connection to ourselves, that the food that we intake is going to affect our health. People just have this separation from it. And I wonder why that is. Do you think it's like a, a media thing, like an advertisement thing? Like somehow along the way, we've separated food from health. Completely. It's, and it's also, um, it's the money coming out of all of these, you know, Nestle and let's, let's tell the kids to have McDonald's every day and it's exciting and, you know, and they go off and eat all this fast food and all this crap and chocolate and sugar and, you know, it's just wrecking everyone's health and, and the sickness we're getting and we're seeing now. 
and Australians especially with obesity and diabetes and cardiovascular disease and every other disease, mm. we just didn't have this in the past before all the preservatives and everything that was put into our food and the colourings and all this weird chemical crap. Surely, like you said, it just doesn't work for our bodies. I think it's definitely an education thing because people got, I own a bakery and so people come in and they kind of, it's definitely a sometimes food. I'm here to say that my shop is a sometimes food. So people come in and they'll have a look around and they'll say, oh, you know, I won't get a brownie or I won't get a Nutella slice. I'll, I'll, I'll get the fruit slice. Well, the fruit slice is going to have just as much sugar as the, as the chocolate, but people have this thought that, okay, well, it's got bits of apple in it, so, so I'll be right. It'll be better for me. I like that, though, that you did touch on that though dahlia is the it's the moderation piece and i think you know if you do have predominantly a very healthy diet and lifestyle and you exercise but then you know every now and then you you have a few glasses of wine and you know that's what you enjoy doing yeah look i'm with you there gosh love a glass of wine and i did probably do a couple of months when i started this program really strictly because i if you are in so much pain and suddenly you're starting to feel better you're going to do everything you can to make you feel better so I felt I have to eliminate everything and then start introducing. And of course, my husband loves a glass of wine and it's a nice thing to have together. And, you know, we have a glass of wine. But yeah, I definitely now would have a couple of glasses of red mm-hmm. happily. It's taken a little while, but there's things like champagne and white wine and all of that just makes me feel so sick. So now I'm really happy to have a couple of glasses of wine. Not that I have been now because I've been on all this extra medication <laughs> oh my god endone makes me feel so bad I know. Um, and i have had my fair share of vomiting in the last couple of days but yeah yeah i haven't had a glass of wine for the last few weeks i think that is an important point just for for those listening is that we're not kind of saying that you know you have to be a, an ultra strict vegan that has to exercise every day and you can't you know have a glass of wine or you can't have the occasional couple pieces of chocolate that, that's not what we're, we're all about we are about just educating you on on what the healthy or optimal you know diet and lifestyle and then you can kind of make your own mind up from that and realize that moderation is important as well and it, it's more sustainable i think for most people it's it's something that you can sustain for a long period of time rather than going it's like that exercise you look at those some of those six-week challenges and those things, it's people smash their bodies for six weeks, but it's not sustainable. And I think it's important to find an exercise that, A, you enjoy, uh, but it's sustainable. And that same goes with diet, saying that you know, it's obviously healthy for you, but something you can sustain over a long period of time. So look, just moving on a little bit with that, Sarah, I know you, you touched on it before about your current situation with uh, your recent hospitalization of your broken bones and how you're still recovering from that and the exercise piece. Obviously, you're still, you know, struggling to just get up and, you know, go to the bathroom, but you still know it's important to get moving. And I think that's the important point that I want to cover off on now is tailoring your exercise to you. And that's the important part. And how have you found in your quite debilitating state at the moment, Sarah, just getting up and being as active as you can? What are a few things that you've found has helped you? Well, I'm in a wheelchair at the moment and I sort of pull myself along. Um, I managed to get to the loo on my own, which is very exciting. I can't quite shower on my own. So bless my husband is playing nurse and completely looking after me. I can't use two crutches because I broke my shoulder. So I've got one crutch where I kind of <laughs> shuffle along. What I'm doing is I'm finding because of doing hot yoga five days a week that I used to be doing and I would constantly be moving and constantly be busy. I'm now 
stretching my hands. I'd, I'd work my neck. I'd stand up on one leg and lift the other. Little things like roll your hands, roll your feet. Constantly I'm moving. And the physio came in the second day in the hospital and gave me a few things like see if you can slightly bend your knee. Like I'm back to absolute, you know, square one trying to do these tiny, tiny little movements. But it's so important just to constantly move. I just feel terrible if I don't. And you just, your body starts to just stiffen up completely, which is not what I need with rheumatoid. No, and, and, that's, and that's spot on. I think it's a prime example of, you know, here's someone who's just, you know, like just been discharged from hospital. You're confined to a wheelchair. You can, you know, can hardly, you can't even walk on a crutch. You know, Will, your husband has to, to shower you, but you still know that it's also important that you have to get moving. You know, as, as little as that may be, just the little things is so important. And I, from my own experience, Sarah, I know that all too well as well, that when I was, hospital bound for about four weeks for my uh, my bowel cancer journey and I was in a terrible way both mentally and physically and the last thing I wanted to do was get out of bed and I remember people came in and I'd have my my physio every day and they said look mate it's so important you get up you get moving it's the last thing I wanted to do but every time I did and it was even just a little waddle down the hallway on my walking frame for 50 meters it did make me feel better I think for those listening who have either are going through some chronic condition or a recent hospital visit or have a loved one or a family member doing that, it's so important to know that exercise should be looked as you know, almost a treatment plan because it's going to significantly help with your recovery. And Dali, did you find, I know you touched on, you wish you got into yoga earlier, but outside of yoga, when you were, I guess, at your worst, say during your chemo days or your surgery days, what, did, what, what were the little things that you did as far as exercise? I probably didn't do enough, but um, I live on the second floor of an apartment building. So I would literally just walk down my stairs and then walk back up my stairs and then go back to sleep for six hours. I probably could have done more, but I did sort of opt not to because I, I guess I just, I don't want to say take the easy way out, but I just... <laughs> no, but you touched on it though, but you weren't, um, you, did, you weren't educated on that piece. Like you weren't really told how probably beneficial it was. And I actually, I think they talk about on SBS, the insight show is that they say when you're your most fatigued, when you're your most fatigued and you just don't feel like getting up, for example, during the chemo, that's when you really should. That's when you have to have to force your body, just even if it's a, a 20 minute walk around your garden or something like that, they made that point to say, that's when you really have to just get your body up and moving. I didn't know that though. So I don't know if you didn't either. That's the thing. I think if my oncologist had said to me, Dahlia, you infuse from Wednesday to Friday. On Saturdays, I need you to go to for a kilometre walk. Just like he says to me, you need to take this, you know, steroid on a Friday. I definitely would have changed my sort of mm. mindset towards it, I reckon. Mm. I think also um, we've got to think about the muscle mass and it's going to decline pretty rapidly as we don't do anything. And I've obviously noticed that in my leg now that's just not doing anything. The problem is if we don't increase our muscles the muscles take up the glucose in your body. And if that's not taken up and used by your muscles, you're going to get high blood glucose in your body. And we don't want, um, you know, then there's going to be problems with insulin levels and diabetes can, you know, happen because of that. And so, you know, it's not just get up and do some exercise. It's, there's a reason behind it. And we don't want, we don't want to have high blood sugar levels in our body. So, that's why we've got to do things. I mean, walking's all good as well, but even just even sitting here and I've got some little tiny weights, I'm just trying to do some muscle, mm. just keep my muscles working. 
But like you said, Dahlia, you need someone just to give you, this is going to be your routine. You're going to have this injection today. You're going to do a 10-minute walk around. You go go up and down those stairs and do 10 squats. And if you've got it written down, you'll do it. I just find, and I'm doing that since I left the hospital. I've got my list. This is when I take my medication. I've got to give myself an injection every day of the Selexane blood thinner. Uh, we're going to have, have breakfast, do that, and then you're going to get up and you do these 10 different exercises. Which this is why I've got you on the show because you're, you're the expert in the field, not us, but the exercise is more than just a, it's good to exercise. And there are, there actually are reasons why we should exercise. Uh, and what's your thoughts around the premise of that show as far as exercise being a pill? And I know I was actually reading there are currently cell, cell biologists who are engineering a protein that benefits some components of exercise. So we're actually talking about some of the benefits you get from exercise, like you're talking about the controlling blood sugar levels and stuff like that. There's actually some cell biologists at the moment who are engineering some tablets that can mimic some components on what makes exercise beneficial. What are your thoughts on that, Sarah? I just find it extraordinary. I think people are just lazy, basically. If we can just have a pill, and like they were saying, give us a magic pill and it's going <laughs> to fix this. And we go to the doctor, our cholesterol's high, give us a cholesterol-lowering drug, you know, blood pressure's up, give me a, you know, and, and all of that is important to a certain extent because some people need it. But we can do so much through exercise and so much through diet. But I think it's basically understanding. There's too, many, too much information out there and we don't have enough understanding of the whole lot. But I think get up and do your exercise but probably, you know, physio or, or a, an exercise coach or someone that can give you some um, details on exactly what you should be doing for you. But yeah, generally, I just think we need to walk. We need to do some weight bearing exercises. Yoga is amazing for our body, releases toxins. Sweating is so important to get those toxins out of your body. Drinking masses of water is the mm. next thing that we need to do. Water is, like you said, what's your, your thing that you, don't, that you shouldn't have is sugar. Water is a massive thing. We should all be drinking like at least two litres of water a day just mm. to keep our bodies hydrated. And that's the, that's the other big thing. But, yeah, it's all about moving this blood glucose and keeping your insulin levels at level. We need to exercise to do that and build our muscle mass. They said on the show that those living with a chronic illness have access to five exercise physiologist sessions available through Medicare, which I was not aware of. But they said that, yeah, you get five per day. And I went on the Medicare website and it's there, but I've never been told that. Wow. I didn't know that either. You should take it up. Have you done it? Well, I literally watched the episode yesterday and then I looked up the link last night. So I'm going to follow through with it this week. Brilliant. And um, they actually asked that question. There were probably a crowd of, what, 30 people who had most of them had been affected by chronic conditions. And they said, okay, who's actually heard of that? So who hasn't heard of that? And everyone pretty much put their hand up saying, I haven't heard of that. So it's one of those little things that it's like, hang on, it's so important yet. Why, is it, why haven't people heard of it? I think it's relatively new. I was discussing it with a friend last night at dinner and she is an, her friend is an exercise physiologist. And so I think it's a relatively new, new system that's been put in place. So I know that there's a lot more work for exercise to the physiologist now since Medicare implemented these changes. So it is relatively new, but you would think like as a cancer patient, you'd get told that as soon as it happened. Yeah. A lot of people almost like naturally are lazy and it's kind of like, well, 
if people are waiting for the day that there's an exercise pill, they could be A, waiting a long time, B, it might never happen, but C, the most important part is, is that exercise is the pill and lifestyle is the medicine and it's available now. Rather than waiting for this magical exercise pill, guess what? It's available now. You can just start exercising yeah. now and that is the pill. <laughs> oh, look, there's so many benefits for um, exercise. Energy improves your mood. It's better sleep. Um, Social. Better for your weight. Better for, you know, every, it's just everything. But like you said, just it's little things. Start off walking around the block and then work up to it. Just keep, keep going. But... If you can get someone to help you, like Dahlia said, if you can get an exercise physiologist, brilliant. Get them to put a whole plan together for you. But it is laziness. A lot of people, and it's a bit like my diet, you know, God, I could never do that. I couldn't have my coffee in the morning or I couldn't do that. But you know what? When you feel like crap and this is going to make you feel better, just do it. Yeah, no, I completely agree. We will look to, to start wrapping things up now. I think it is a topic that clearly you're passionate about, Sarah, and we could probably keep talking about, but you just hit the main point then. And I think it's the, the, the key takeaway for those listening is that, you know, clearly exercise, diet, lifestyle is important, but it's important to note that for every patient, the exercise has to be tailored and individualized. So tailored and individualized is so important. So just because you've got you know, a friend or a family member who's doing, you know, a certain exercise, it might not be right for you with your given chronic condition or your treatment. So just remember those two key points, tailored and individualized. But look, before we do wrap it up, are there any final points? Uh, Dali, you want to raise anything? Well, I just find it quite frustrating that my private health took yoga and Pilates off of their available, you know, um, reduction. So you, I think it's a perfect example that they don't see that as something that's going to contribute to your health. Like, yoga and Pilates, like they're the main things that I do. And look, I feel lucky that I can afford to do those things without any sort of subsidies or anything like that. But I think that if exercise was perhaps like subsidized by Medicare or somehow, you know, encouraged by the government or, you know, helping people that, you know, are in lower socio brackets where they cut, you know, the particular kind of exercise that might be suitable for them, for example, like swimming in a pool isn't available to them because they can't afford it. Like, I think it would be a huge help if more help came from above, I suppose. Yeah, there's been a massive thing on health rebates recently on taking naturopaths and all herbal medicines and everything off the rebates. Nutrition is still in the air. It's kind of like, oh, we're not really sure. But it's been terrible because everyone gets, you know, was happy getting their rebates through all these health funds. And now they're not because the government goes, no, it's not important. I mean, the whole industry is quite amazed so uh yeah nutrition's still up in the air so i think i'm okay for a minute but um even still it's not a lot of health fund rebates there's only a couple giving you yeah rebates with nutrition so it's i don't know what's happening with it's the not encouraged yeah. it's definitely not encouraged yeah. and we need it to be we need it to be yeah no absolutely of course we do and i think it's you know just this discussion alone and there's just so much out there to suggest that how important it is and look, before we do look to close things up there i think i just wanted to raise one more bit of a point there which i know you touched on during the uh, during the episode sarah about second opinions and we've talked about that previous episodes about whether that's uh, second opinions with doctors and things like that but you said how you've you know some dietitians might go here's your cult and things like that which is you know full of sugar and i think it's so important for people listening that you are entitled to second third opinions from other healthcare professionals whether that's a dietitian or whether that's a gp and there's one particular lady whose orthopedic surgeon told her uh, to rest knee for 6 months um, after a knee surgery and like we touched on with the whole education piece of exercise she 
listened to the orthopedic surgeon and, and she rested it, literally rested it for six months and basically didn't do anything for six months. And she talks about how there were so many other detrimental parts that came out from that. And then she kind of saw another orthopedic surgeon who then gave her this exercise plan and things like that. So they are out there and it's important to realize that. And there actually are some GPs who now have exercise physiologists as part of their clinic. So they realize how important it is. And so they've actually got exercise physiologists as part of their standalone clinic. So I think the the shift is starting to take place, but I think there's still a long way to go. And I think the whole education piece is really the most important part. So, so no, look, thanks so much, Sarah, for taking time out of your day. I know you're, like you said, you're still confined to a wheelchair and you're, you're still on some, uh, some pain relief, but we really do appreciate you coming on, on the show and chatting to us. And before we do go, Sarah, is there just a couple little parting tips or takeaway points? Get off your caffeine, drink lots of water, eat less red meat and lots of plant-based foods, masses of green leafy veggies, and get up and exercise and you'll feel amazing. Take those be active car parks, park far away. And I know because you like it too, Sarah, and if you do like a little glass of red wine or two, uh, there are plenty of minimal sulfate, preservative-free wines out there, which, uh, which A, they're better for you, but B, they're not too bad on the hangovers either. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Sarah. Thanks very much for joining us and good luck with your recovery. Thanks, Hugo. Thanks, Dahlia. You've been listening to the 25 Stay Alive podcast. Subscribe on iTunes or Spotify to get fresh new weekly episodes. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at 25 Stay Alive. And feel free to send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. See you next time.